This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. All right, so first of all, please let us post the link of the YouTube stream on our social media so that people can join us before we go too far. Um, if you haven't done that, please do that. Um, let us also notify everyone on the church group. We have done inauguration now, so we have to we have to reach out to people. Abby, we've done we've done inauguration now, so we have to do ministry. Praise God. So he that wants to reach men does not um he that wants to shine. How did Jesus brothers advise him? He that wants to reach men will not hide his lights. Therefore, go to where people will see you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Are we together? All right. So. Galatians chapter 2. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. We cannot recap. We have to move on. So if you did not um, if you did not get the service, if you were not part of the service last week, please join. Please go and listen to it. I think you'll be blessed. Right? I think you'll be blessed. Interestingly enough, I was um, you know, pondering on the message of last week Wednesday and I was actually really touched. I learned a lot of things. I'm like, okay, this is, this is some good stuff. And I have a, I'm having ideas now. It's like this way we are going to go through the entire New Testament. It's a good way to, you know, to uh, edify people. Hallelujah. So Galatians chapter 2. So, uh, no, we can't recap. Let's just proceed. Then, after 14 years, so you guys, we know the story, right? God called him. For three years, he was in Arabia. Then after that, he went up to Jerusalem to see the Lord James, um, the Lord's brother James and Peter. And then he went to do ministry. So after 14 years of doing ministry, right? After 14 years of doing ministry around the Jama, you know, planting all the churches and doing all those things that he was doing. This is what happened. So then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. So what happened was that Apostle Paul received a revelation from God that he should go. So what happened is, in the book, we're going to read it now, but let me just go down a bit. In Acts chapter 15, there was a lot of contention. And Apostle Paul would have not gone. Because we know from the way he said it in chapter 1, that he's not the person that does democracy when it comes to the gospel. It's what God has told him he's going to do. He's not asking for anybody's impute in the matter, right? But after 14 years, he was in Antioch and things were happening. And then all of a sudden, was he in Antioch? Yeah, I think so. Was he in Antioch? We'll check. Acts chapter 15. So... Certain people among the Pharisees came to them and then they tried to begin to dispute. They began to dispute with him. And so it, um, Luke didn't mention it in Acts chapter 15, but Apostle Paul is telling us from his own perspective what happened. That he actually got a revelation from God that he should go to Jerusalem for the debate, that council that he had. It was actually God that told him to go. So if not, he won't have gone. So let's start again. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles and I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Very interesting. So there was a dispute. Some guys came and were arguing with them that the Gentiles should follow the law of Moses. I'm going to talk about the law of Moses very soon. He said they should follow the law of Moses. And Paul said, no, that's not what God told me. And then the thing caused serious fights. So they said, let's go to Jerusalem to go and argue. 
Now, Paul is telling us that he didn't go because they were shouting. He went because God told him to go. And then when he went there, you know what he did? He didn't first join them to argue in their council where all of them were shouting. You know what he did? He first of all went to go and meet James and Peter alone, privately. You see that? Let's go back. You see it? He says, I went in response to Revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. So he went to the leaders first. He didn't go and argue doctrine with Bogwero. He went to the leaders first to tell them, this is what I'm preaching and this is what they're shouting about. He settled this with them inside. He said he wanted to even be sure because he still gave them the, re the regard as the people that saw the Lord in the flesh, that the Lord, you know, and all that. So these are the apostles that saw the Lord in the flesh. So he still gave them that regard. And he said, I want to be sure that I was not running in vain because he still opened himself to the possibility that Peter would say, no, this thing is wrong. James would say, no, this thing is not correct. Do you understand? So, verse 3, he now says, yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So, he now tells us the summary of what happened in, in that entire meeting. He now says that when they got there, the guys in Jerusalem will not compel anybody to go through with, law, with circumcision. Verse 4, this matter arose because some false believers, did you see that? Some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and make us and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He says, some people came to spy our freedom. They infiltrated our ranks. He says, we did not give in to them for one moment. He says, we did not give in to them for one moment so that the gospel can be preserved. That means he did not say, eh, okay, we hear you. We accept what you are saying. But he didn't say anything like that. He said, we did not give in to them for one moment. So you know what? Let's go and read that story in Acts chapter 14. You know, every day, my faith in the scriptures, my faith in God increases. Because there are some little, little bonuses here. When you read the scriptures that the apostles give us to strengthen our faith in God's word. There are little, little bonuses that the scriptures give us that strengthen our faith in God. Are we together? For example, isn't it nice that Paul never planned that Luke would write a letter or a book or a history, a bio, an autobiography, right? No, a biography rather. He didn't plan it. He was just writing his own letter to the Galatians, telling them what happened. Meanwhile, the person that was traveling with him was writing a, a biography of everything that happened. And the stories fit exactly. Isn't it nice? It's not better than the other book of our brothers. That is only one person that wrote. And okay, let me just hold myself. Praise God. Acts chapter 15. So let's read the story that he was talking about. Acts chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Uh, here I was right. So from Judea to Antioch. And they were teaching the believers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Ha. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp disputes and debates with them. Did you see that? You see when he was telling us that he said, we did not even yield to them for one moment. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to get to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Luke is writing that the people in the churches, the pastors in Antioch, appoint, the elders in Antioch appointed him. Paul, when he was writing, said, I didn't go. I went because of what? Revelation. God told me to go. Even not before that, I will not go. Coconuted. Coconuted for contending for the gospel. That's some good coconuted. Verse 3. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This, made news, this news made all the believers very glad. 
And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything that, that everything God had done through them. So you can see Luke's perspective. You can see Paul's perspective. So what happened was that when Paul got to Jerusalem, he first went to see the Babas privately before they now had a general council. Do you understand that? He first went in to see them privately and tell them what happened. And told them what happened. Then there was now a general council. Verse 5. Then some of the believers who, long, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The party of the Pharisees. I wanted to do all those kind of didactic reading where you follow everything and you now be bringing the poets one by one, but I cannot wait. Things is gingering me. Let me just be saying everything. When we read it later on, you'll see what I was saying earlier. You see what's going on? When, before, before Jesus died, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had monopoly of access to God. They had monopoly of what it took to be righteous. They were the teachers of the people. They were the teachers of the law. They were the ones that had the monopoly on how people can behave that they can be righteous before God. And Jesus abused them for the way they were using their monopoly because when you have a monopoly, you are incentivized to misbehave. Do you understand that? So because they were the only ones, they felt like they could do people anyhow and they were feeling like they were God over people. Then Jesus now died and rose again. And then with proof, this is another evidence that Jesus died and rose again that we don't talk about in the popular level in apologetics. What can make a Pharisee leave Judaism and turn to be Christian? What? <laughs> what can make an imam leave Islam? And this one is worse because this one is, is cultural and turn to Christianity. It's because all those Pharisees, eh? All of them, Nicodemus people, all of them that they were still doing horror, horror, horror. When Jesus was alive, they were, some of them were sneaking to go and see him. Some were indifferent. They were staying in the middle. Some were actively against him. All of them. When Jesus died and rose again, and they saw people, they saw people, eyes blind people being, crippled people being raised from, the eyes blind people open, shadow healing people, and they saw those kind of things. I am, them, Acts chapter 2, where people were speaking language from different countries at the same time, all those kind of wonders in heaven and on earth. Men, they say, even the Acts chapter 4 tells us that even among the Pharisees, people got saved. You know, if you read Acts chapter 4, it tells us. Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, it says, even among the Pharisees, people got saved. But guess what? When they got saved, they came and formed a party, a power block inside church. Do you know what happens to people? When people get saved, they believe that Jesus died for them and rose again. But many times, there are some motivations that they had before they got, got saved that they bring into Christianity. So a person can say, I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus rose again. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. But I, ha I want to make money from ministry. You know it's possible. A person can say, Jesus died and rose again. I believe Jesus died and rose again. But relationship is the most important thing that anybody should have. You can actually believe in Jesus and have the wrong value system. Now, people that for centuries have been addicted to the monopoly of power. People that have been addicted to being the ones to define how other people can be righteous, they now got saved. And they could not let go of that evil spirit. So they entered Christianity and formed a power block. They formed a political party inside the church. And guess what they were doing? They wanted to continue that stream. So now that God had delivered everybody, and everybody is justified by faith, and they have agreed, 
they were looking for another way whereby they can still exert monopoly over other people's faith. They wanted to find a way where in the hierarchy of um, people that know God, they will be at the top. Because that's what Judaism gave them. In the hierarchy of knowing God, he put them at the top. So they wanted to find a way where they could... Because what Christianity does and what Jesus did by his death and resurrection was that he democratized salvation. He democratized it. He made it a free market. Everybody can be saved. Anybody can believe. But these guys were trying to look for a way to ensure that being saved will still pass through them. So they now went to... And so when you can't tell Jews all that one again, you will now look for the new converts that are coming to Christianity and tell them that they have to follow the law of Moses. When you go and tell a barbarian, a Corinthian, a Greek that does not know anything about Judaism and go and tell him that for you to be fully saved, you have to be circumcised. And he starts saying, and what does it mean to be circumcised? You say, I'll tell you what it means. First of all, let's start from Exodus chapter 1. So I'll explain everything to you. So this is what you do. Hmm? I say, but sir, what does this mean? I say, I will tell you I'm a Pharisee. That's what they wanted. The fact that people's salvation was democratized and people were saved by themselves, it was pinning them. They wanted people, they still wanted people to be coming through them to God. So they went and were telling people that if you are not circumcised, because well, you know they did, well, they were telling people that if you are not circumcised, they, they won't mention all the other things in the law. They'll just say, if you are not circumcised, you cannot be saved. Because just like a Jew, if you are not circumcised, you cannot be part of the Jew. You can't be part of Judaism. That's what you do to become, to become part of Judaism. Even as a black person, if you want to become mention enter Judaism, you have to get circumcised. So it now says that for you to be saved, you have to be circumcised. But that's just a, a trick. Do you know why? Because even if you yield that it's just circumcision, let's just circumcise according to the law of Moses and let's leave the rest. You know what will happen? After circumcision, there will be more questions. And all those questions, who will be the only person that can answer the questions? The Pharisees. You will see something later on, Apostle Paul said. There is a lot of agenda that people bring into Christianity that has created the fact that we have so many denominations. Now, the truth is that there is no scenario where we will not have differences of opinion, even on the most fundamental things. But 90% of the causes of denominationalism is this issue. Is this issue of bringing your, the flesh bringing what you want, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, and looking for scriptural backing for it, even though you are saved. Shout together. These guys were Pharisees, and they came into Christianity, and they wanted people to start becoming circumcised. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders meant to consider this question. And this is the important thing. This is not the funny thing. These guys would have had significant influence. They would have had significant influence. So much influence that they could send spies to countries far away to go and be checking what Christians are doing. Can you imagine that? You will send spies from Jerusalem. Just the way Saul was doing before he died, where he was creating letters from the high chief priest to go to other countries to go and kill them. That's what they were doing. They will be doing quality assurance of people's faith. From Jerusalem, they will send people to Antioch 
to Galatia. They will send people to far places. Do you know? Do you see the gap? Do you know the gap between Jerusalem and, and Turkey, where Galatia is? You know the gap between Jerusalem and, and Antioch. They will send people to those places to go and be checking on the Christians. Are there Christians in this country? What are you people doing? Ah, people are not doing it well. That is what they call uh, evil spirits. Ah, I want to say something. And let me not give credence to it. Let me just hold myself. Praise God. You see what we're saying? Verse 6. The apostles and elders met, met to consider this question. Uh, after more discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Something else came to my mind just now. And these Pharisees, because of their agenda, they will have gotten plenty of scriptural backing for their beliefs. They are the ones that have been saying things like, when Jesus sent us out to go and preach in Luke chapter 10, he told us that we should not go to the Gentiles or to any other country, but we should go to the Lordship of Israel. He would have quoted those kind of things. He would have said, even when Jesus was alive, he fulfilled all the law. They would have been quoting all kinds of scriptures, twisting scriptures to fulfill their agenda. So the agenda will have been so strong to the point where even the apostles have to sit down and consider it. So when they said it was no small dispute, it will have been no small dispute. No small dispute. The kind of thing that people have been fighting, arguing, shouting, if possible, throwing slaps. Verse 9. Verse 8. God, who knows the hearts, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. You know, he's referring to his experience in Acts chapter 10 here. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were, have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Just as they are. Thank God for Peter. Thank God for courage. Thank God for courage to stand. Because as we will read now in Galatians chapter 2, the peer pressure was much. And now, if peer pressure could affect him when he was in Antioch, how much more where he was in Jerusalem among the Jews? Thank God for courage. Thank God for courage. That is the reason why God should be helping us. It is possible that a man will be a man of God and will receive revelation like Peter, where God himself will show you a vision that you should not call any of his things unclean. And under peer pressure, you still misbehave. And as I was telling this boy some days ago, that one of the things about honoring men of God that it requires wisdom, requires tact. And this is one of the things that used to cause problems for people. How do you reconcile the fact that a man, you have seen the power of God in his life. You have seen that this man has said and done and he has demonstration, evidence that God has called him. Yet that same man will do some things in the flesh. How do you reconcile it? 
How do you reconcile it? It's a very difficult thing. How do you reconcile? Especially for some people that are not adept, that don't understand God's word. How do you know the one that is inspired of God and the ones that are in the flesh? This is one thing that you must understand. That even your ministers and your pastors can act in the flesh. In a moment of, of bad judgment, they can say and do things. In a low moment of depression or despair, they can say or do things. A man of God who is called of God can act in the flesh. That's why at the end of the day, what has supreme authority is God's word as revealed to us. Is the scripture. Is the laid down traditions of, our, of the apostles. That's what we still hold supreme. Because even your men of God, our men of God, can have low moments. Church out together. Thank God for the strength that Paul demonst- that Peter demonstrated in this place. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, he said listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. See, they are, see, they are now seeing where the... You see, they are now seeing where scripture said it. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. And the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Oh, glory to Jesus. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. That's some, that's some good, good prophecy. Hallelujah. And so, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has preached, the law of, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every, on every Sabbath. Hallelujah. Then they now said after that, they now wrote a letter to all the people, writing, writing, stating everything that they said, and giving Paul and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship. Do you see that? Now let's go back to Acts chapter 4. So, verse, let's read verse 4 again. Now it says, This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, Paul makes a judgment here. The book of Acts tell, tells us, Acts chapter 3, chapter 4 tells us that Many Pharisees were converted and they, and they were saved. Paul said many of these guys were false believers. So um, we don't need to take Paul over the book of Acts. Do you understand? Let's accept the two. And let's see, among those party of Pharisees that came, some of them were converted and some of them were what? False believers. That's a, okay now. I think that's a safe judgment to make. Paul says certain false believers came. But when Paul misbehaved, when Peter later misbehaved, was he a false believer? So, just like, the, just like Luke tells us in the book of Acts that certain Pharisees were saved, let's believe that the party of Pharisees that came, some of them were false believers. That means that they were pretending to be saved. They were going with the flow, with the latest fad in town, and some were not saved. Verse 6. For those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. So, he says, 
after presenting to Peter and James, they added nothing to his message. They could not take from it, they could not add to it. Why? Because it was the word of God that he was preaching. Thank God that God had given Peter that evidence of Acts chapter 10. Imagine Peter had not seen, Acts chapter 10 had not happened to Peter. Because even when James supported it, guess what he quoted? He says, just as Peter has told you people, God did the same thing. He now quoted the scripture. And this is the thing about people. People like to judge scriptures by their experiences. The reason why it was easy for James to quote Isaiah for all of them, for them to see easily, was because there was an evidence from Peter's experience. That means that if Peter did not have that experience, James telling those people that that is God's word will have been more difficult. They would have said, eh, he was talking about Jews in diaspora. Do you understand that? They will have found something to say. See, in this life, volition precedes intellectual. That's why in ministry, you cannot say you're only reconciling people back to God. That's one phase. You have to reshape people's values. You have to reshape how people think. A man can be saved and be of the party of the Pharisees. A man can be saved and be of the party of the Pharisees. And even be influential in the church to the point where the apostles have to listen to you. Let's bring it to contemporary times. A man can be saved and be of the party of the materialistic. That's just the truth. A man can be saved and be of the party of those that are using ministry as ambition for building empires. Church out together. And such men will find it easy to twist the scriptures. Such men will find it easy to twist the scriptures. And so that's why Apostle Paul tells us that see, the kingdom of God is not in talk, but it's also in power. One of the reasons why demonstration of power is actually good is that once in a while, it helps you to shut the mouth of your adversaries to show that the presence of God is in the place. It is obviously it doesn't work all the time, but sometimes it works. Hallelujah. Verse 8. It says, For God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John those esti- ah, I keep missing out John. John was also in this council. Very important to remember. John was also in this council. And John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had eager to, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. We said that um, Paul left out food sacrifice to idols, and uh, sexual immorality. <laughs> Praise God. You know what is about the scriptures that makes it real? is when you realize that these people were human beings just like you. It makes it real. It's not fake. It's not a concoction. It's not one idea that some guy sat down. It's real. He said the only thing they told me that you remember the poor. He said they have it. He said, don't, don't, don't have said from sexual immorality. I went for blood. He said, have it. Have it. The one that concerns him among all the things they said is the poor. All those other words of saying, <laughs> because 
It's the same one that told us the first Corinthians that first is of um, the book First Corinthians that saying, I see food on travels why those are all that we all know that they are demons that they are nothing. If you can fit, can take it. it take it. If your faith cannot take it, don't take it. However, however, he now tells in chapter 9 that see, if there are people around you that their faith cannot take it, don't use your own to now injure them. Don't, and then he now, in Romans, in Romans chapter 13, he now tells us that see, if your own faith cannot take it, don't go and do stronger than take it and enjoy yourself. Praise God. Church, are we together? Are we together, everybody? So, and this is also very, very important, that all the apostles were unanimous in something. They were unanimous about taking care of the poor. They were unanimous about taking care of the poor. But if you remember that conversation we had when we were talking about early church some months ago. See, there is an anomaly that we are doing today, and God will help us. It's, it's easy to read Bible and be talking like an intellectual and be talking about what is wrong. When your turn starts, they don't know my inauguration now. So when they are busy Nigerian pastors, we are part of them. It's easy to talk. And when it's your own point, you will now not do it. But this is one truth, and God help us to do it. We should not let church administration, we should not let the administration of the gospel of Christ become so expensive that it prevents us from taking care of the poor and the needy amongst us. The apostles were unanimous. Those who are needy, that means those who don't have any work, they don't have any source of income. Like, they don't have any source of income. It is, the, it is our responsibility to take care of them. Hallelujah. It is our responsibility to take care of them. Praise God. No, don't worry. Okay. That's Paul. And um, that's Peter. I, I opposed him to his face because he stood to be condemned. So something went wrong here. See what happened. For before certain men came from James, that means <laughs> Apostle James. This is why some people said something some time ago. When we were younger, you guys have heard that thing. I say James did not really understand righteousness by faith. That uh, James was legalistic. That's why he's the one that now said, faith without works is dead. No. No. Let me tell you what will have really happened. Because this is also what they will say. They will say, uh, legalistic people came from James. So, Paul, I've seen all kinds of rubbish commentaries. That So, Paul is sobbing James. That James was part of the legalistic uh, apostles. And that's why he wrote his letter the way he wrote it. So when we are reading James, we take it with a pinch of salt because the people that were troubling Peter were from James. But that's not what happened. You see, that book of James is solid. He's perfect. Everything he said is perfect. So, so what most like have what most likely have been hap- what will have most likely happened, just as we see today, is that James is a conservative man. He's one of those people that from the beginning he will have recognized that righteousness by faith can be easily misinterpreted for antinomianism. That people can take liberty. He will have noticed from day one. So he will have been among those ministers that will have insisted that, see, you must not misbehave because you are righteousness by faith. But guess what? The party of the Pharisees would have seen his conservativeness as an endorsement for their legalism. Do you understand what I just said now? <laughs> Do you understand what I just said now? A lot of people would have seen his insistence how did Sammy put it? Uh, Plena fide. Uh, works and faith. His insistence that you cannot have faith and your works will not show. 
They, some people among those people will have used that, and that's what happened to ministers a lot. That's one of my greatest fears in ministry, is that people will take what I've said and use it for their own agenda and use it for something else. I don't think any minister has been spared from that heartbreak. There's no minister that does not have extreme followers. There's no minister that does not have followers that will take his word and use it for something else. What most likely will have happened here is not Paul, because obviously if you just read up back, Paul gives James the honor. He calls him the pillar. He calls him the man I should submit to so that I can be sure that I was not running what? In vain. So, it's not Paul subbing James like some people have been saying. It's not Paul subbing James. He's talking about certain people that claim to be followers of James that were legalistic people. And that happens to everybody. So, Paul's conservative stance, James' conservative stance would have been seen by some of the party of the Pharisees as an endorsement of insistence on the law of Moses. And so they will have formed camp. They will have said we are James people. They are the ones that have been quoting James more. They will be quoting James more. You know those kinds of, you know church drama, you know those things. So people from James, verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And that's one thing about life. See, heresies die hard. Heresies die hard. Heresies die hard. That's why you see heresies, eh? you cannot give them, you cannot concede for one minute. Heresies die hard. After the council has sat down, they had resolved everything. Everybody had agreed. This thing is still happening. Still happening. This Peter that saw vision from heaven is still. And that this is a note for all of us. Even me, myself. In the last weeks let me let me confess in the last weeks i have i've 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 not i've i've seen that and say ah you cannot catch me that's why we must continue to renew our minds with the word of god and stay in god's word when you think you have been free from materialism that you are not esteeming yourself by how much money you have when you think you are free some things will happen that you just find yourself beginning to think in a certain way you say ah this thing wants to catch me. That was, that was that will happen here. Peter knows that all of us Gentiles were all the same. He knows. It's not as if he doesn't know. But under peer pressure, you just sleep. That's why everything we're teaching in, not even your pastor is exempt. That's why we'll be teaching God's word. Every day, the same thing. Don't be materialistic. Don't measure yourself by how much money you have. Believe in God. Faith in God is believing in God, not believing God for material things. Faith in God is following God according to his purpose, not according to your purpose for yourself. We will keep saying it. Because just when you think you have no needs and you cannot fall for it again, it will just show up. These demons, when they are cast out, they only go to wonder for a while. Though. They usually come back to check where they are coming from. They come back to check. You go for a meeting and every suggestion of evil, demonic ideas are banished by God's word and they are out. Demon will leave you. After six weeks, you will come back again to come and check. If your mind has space, you now start whispering to you again through Netflix, whispering to you again through Instagram, whispering to you through Twitter. Before you know it, you are still consuming evil information. Church, are we together? 
Lord, you are serious, oh. very serious matter. He now says, but when he arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. <laughs> the circumcision group. These guys were still seeing this thing. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. See peer pressure. See peer pressure. You don't become a banner of God fighting against materialism, we're fighting against things of this world, we're fighting against worldliness, loss of death, loss of the flesh. Next thing you start hanging out with some big men of God. I tell you, I went to go minister in Canada some days ago. They gave me an arrangement of five thousand dollars. Before you know it, you are in the same WhatsApp group chat with them. Before you know it, you two are still saying some things. Before you know it, you start doing some things. Please, I'm begging you guys in the name of Jesus. If you guys ever notice all those things, please just come here and say, Pastor, what's in the apple? <laughs> Praise God. Verse 14. He says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Jews to join Jewish customs? Now, this is the point where I have to explain something to you here. Is it why is it that you want to force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? This is Christianity 101 that all of you must understand. This is Christianity basics. I'm about to say something now for you to understand that people have misunderstood for so long. And I don't know what the problem is. The law of Moses is a compendium of laws that are Jewish customs. Jewish rights and Jewish traditions on how to act. God, through Moses, gave them those, those customs. Inside of those customs, there are pointers to God's eternal moral laws. So there are some eternal moral laws that should guide, that, are, that depict morality, how people should act towards one another, how people should act towards God. Eternal moral laws that are embedded inside of those Jewish customs. So, eternal moral laws are in Jewish customs, but not all of the customs are eternal moral laws. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I just said now? Let me say it again. There are eternal moral laws inside of Jewish customs, inside the law of Moses. Eternal moral laws, laws about morality, how people should act and how people should behave. Inside of those Jewish customs, we also have pointers to salvation. That is what Jesus was coming to do to unite man back to himself. But not everything in those Jewish laws were eternal moral laws or pointers to what Jesus was coming to do. Some of it were just Jewish rites and customs that don't apply to everybody. It's important you understand that. So it's a bucket that has plenty of things inside. Some of, those, uh, some of those Jewish customs that are just customs and rites pertain to the Israelites. It was temporary and it was for a people. It was for particular people at a particular time. Some of those things are not eternal moral laws. They don't apply to everybody and at every time. And there are some things that apply to everybody and at every time. And there are some things that point to what Jesus is coming to do. Now, people will say that because those, those customs contain some eternal moral laws, anybody that wants to know God and wants to have God's divine moral law has to do everything in that law. Do you understand that now? Do you understand that now? Because those laws 
those customs contained some eternal moral laws, people began to think that for you to, you know, know those eternal moral laws, you have to do everything in that Jewish law. Everything. And that is the essence of everything that Jesus came to do. Jesus now came to show us that, see, those, those customs were temporary and they were for a people. There's a time when the eternal moral laws, which will be crystallized in what Jesus is going to do for us, will be crystallized out of that. Those eternal moral laws were supposed to be a pointer to those customs, were meant to be a pointer to those eternal moral laws. The essence of all those things, those eternal moral laws, such that a time comes when Jesus will fulfill it by crystallizing eternal moral laws out of it, so that all men at all times can participate in those eternal laws, right, and leave the customs alone. Do you understand that? But do you guys understand what I just said to you now? But the Jews now said, for you to get those eternal moral laws, you must um, follow all of the customs of the law of Moses. And Jesus came and said, I have fulfilled it. I have crystallized the essence. I have brought out the essence. I have brought out the essence. It's like there was a time when there was no sieve. There was no technology for removing stone and husks. It's a bad analogy, but it's just an analogy to get in your mind. Don't use it again after now. There's beans. They are, you want to do eat beans. There's beans, there's the husk, there's the stones and everything. And then, but for you to eat the beans, because we don't have any system for sieving it, if you want to eat the nutrition of the beans, you will cook everything together with the stone and the husk, and then you eat it. Now, in my analogy, stones and husk are bad. They are negative. But in real life, the laws of Moses, those other ones, they are not really negative in quotes. Uh, so they are more like indifferent. So you get what I'm saying? So you cook it. But now, Jesus now comes with a system for removing the beans from it. He now removes the beans and now says everybody can eat the beans. You now say, no, everybody must go and be eating everything the way it was before so that you can get it. Because I say, there's no need for that anymore. We have removed it. That's exactly what the argument is here. The Pharisees are saying you must eat everything, the beans and the stone and everything, for you to get the beans. Just say you don't have to eat the stone and everything to get the beans. I have brought out the beans because I am the word beans. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Don't use this analogy again. <laughs> George, are we together? Are we together? So you see people that will not be criticizing. It happens to today. People are criticizing the Bible. They will not say, your Bible says people should wear clothes of two different stripes. Eh, kineko, kineko. Ogalaye, what are you talking about? That is the stone and the, this thing. In no concern us. The beans is what we are eating. You have to understand that. When um, James was saying um, faith without works is dead, he was not saying faith without works of eating the beans with the stone. He was not saying the faith of, he was not saying the works of the law of Moses. He was not saying the works of the traditions of Moses. It's very If I read the book of Romans, you must always understand that too. When he's talking about works, he's not talking about, James chapter 2, he's not talking about the works of the law of Moses. He was talking about the works of righteousness. That means the beings, the substance, the eternal moral law. You cannot say you have faith in Jesus and you're acting like Jesus' enemy, Satan. Do you understand that? And so that is why the same way too for us. You cannot be telling someone that is a Christian that for them to act righteously, they must go and no. No. Verse 15. 
We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. So when he's talking about the works of the law here, the works talking about is the works of the law of Moses. So he's telling us now that you cannot be justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in him. So even us, that initially they gave us the beans with the stone and the husk and everything. We ourselves, now that Jesus has separated the beans for us, we ourselves are not even, we don't even need to bother with those things again. We can go and eat the beans straight. You now see some people that they came and God has helped them. The beans have been set out easily for them, for them to just eat. You now say, no, don't eat the beans. Don't eat the fresh beans. You must come and eat everything with us. And Paul is saying, what kind of bondage do you want to put people in? What's the point? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Verse 17. No, okay, have I finished verse 15? Verse 16? Because by the works of no one will justify. Verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ that lives in me. Now, don't take it out of context. Because people take it out of context and say, I'm not alive. That sin is dead. My life is Jesus that is living it. So Jesus is the one that is alive. So no matter what I do, I'm dead. Sin is dead. I'm dead. Jesus is the one that is alive. No, that's not what he's saying. Look what he says. The life I now live. So you now see, who is now alive? I. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's now saying that that part of me that lived under the law of Moses, that part of me that needed all the law of Moses to understand righteousness, to have a modicum of righteousness, that part is dead because that law, the law has died. A new me is alive. This is a me that is justified by Christ by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this new me does not need the law, is dead to the law. And so because Jesus came to die and to make a way out for me, that means that everything about my life is now being lived for Jesus. Paul is the first person to preach that works without, faith without works is what? Dead. This is the meaning of faith without works is dead. You don't know. Let me read it again. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by what? Faith. I have a new way of life. It is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my lifestyle is no more faith in my head, but living anyhow. I live by faith. My life is no longer my own. It's Christ that is living through me. I am living for Christ. That's what he's saying. Everything in my life is for Christ. I am now living my life for Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So that means that if we could have been righteous without Jesus separating the beans for us, what's the essence of the separation? Do you understand that? That means separation was just a waste of time. 
That means separation was just a waste of time. Now, let me go back to verse 17. There's something I want to point out here. Verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. So, there's a lot of import. There was a lot of import. That's what Apostle Paul was trying to stress for Peter here. That what he did, as someone who knows that Jesus had ended the paradigm, he had ended a time, he had ended a disposition, he had ended a paradigm, you now want to go back into it. You destroyed something and you are trying to rebuild it. That would make you a lawbreaker. So he was, he was stressing to Paul, to, he was trying to stress to Apostle Peter that for you to go back to something that you know is not good is like you yourself are being a lawbreaker. He's, he was telling that what he did was actually committing sin. That's what he was saying. I know I've been justified by faith. I know I've been justified by faith. You are now trying to make me to be justified by something that Jesus had already ended. So, look at verse 17 again. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews also find ourselves among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ permits sin? So we Jews that we knew that we cannot, if you read earlier like we read from verse 16, 15 and 16, we know that it is by faith. No one is just, okay, let's read verse 16 again. Um, verse 15. We, we who are Jews by birth and are, and not, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Our fathers tried it. Our ancestors tried it. Paul, Peter said it himself. James said it himself in Acts chapter 15. He said it himself. That even our fathers could not bear this rule, this yoke. But so, we know that the person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Don't forget, he's stroking him for trying to pretend to act under the law. He now says verse 17. But if in but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find also find um, Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would be a lawbreaker. So Jesus cannot be promoting sin by making you follow what He had already destroyed. So when you are telling people to go and follow the customs of the law of Moses. You are being a lawbreaker. You are a sinner. No, you know, you know, you know that you are a sinner, but you know what I mean. You are acting in sin. And so, even the Gentiles that you are abusing, that they are sinners, you yourself, you are acting just like them. That's why the first thing he said to him is that, in verse 14, he says, You are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. <laughs> that was the first thing he said to him. You are a Jew, yet you are misbehaving like a Gentile. You know what is right and you are doing otherwise. Church out together. Church out together. The truth is that 
I was going to say something about the practical, about the practice, the in practice, defending the gospel in practice. What does it look like? The truth. People read this scripture and they say things like, um, "The person that corrected Peter was was Paul, because Paul himself was an apostle." But from all what we have read now, you can see that, as far as the Jews were concerned, Paul was not in the level of Peter. Do you understand that? Peter was was high level. Paul was not in his level. Peter is just an outsider. Peter was an outsider to them. It's we today that honor Paul that are saying it's Paul that can address Peter. So if something is wrong, we should look for a senior man to address another senior man. You understand what I'm saying? When Paul was writing this thing, it was not between two senior men. It was between one senior man and one guy like this. One guy that had to go and submit his doctrine before they allowed him and gave him right hand of fellowship. You need to understand the context. It was not between two senior men. It was between Baba, Sephas, the rock, the one that God gave name himself. He said, your name is Sephas. They, they abandoned his former name. They forgot his name. We don't even know. He said, Peter, what Peter? It's not like Peter. It's what Jesus called you that we are calling you now. Senior man versus one small boy. That was actually the real context here. Let me tell you the truth. Hmm? Do you know the only lesson we can learn about the practicability of contending for the gospel here? It's not about senior man should talk to senior man or anything. If you wait for only senior men to talk to senior men, some heresies will just continue to flourish. That's not the truth of what is happening here. The truth of what is happening here is, is the person that has access to them that should talk to them. That means you cannot correct someone from afar. That's the only lesson we can learn here. It's not about senior man versus junior man. Paul and Peter were not mates as at this time. This is just one guy that has plenty of social media following versus a man. I'm serious. That's what Paul is like. A man that has plenty of social media followers, but the ministers don't consider him a serious person. And versus the senior man himself. The Pope himself. He was not mates. He's not mates. <laughs> so let me tell you the only real uh, lesson we can learn here is that the correction is done face to face. That's the only real lesson we can learn here. All those things of, you should wait for only one senior man to tell is a lie. It's a lie. The gospel must be contended for. It's not by, look at where he started. He said, even those that God has, even those that consider themselves something, God does not show favoritism. He said, God does not do what? Show favoritism. There's nothing like that. You will see I'm sounding like a rebellious pastor, but it's the truth. Let's read, go back and read it. Where is that verse again? He says, um, Verse, um, verse, yes, for those who are held in hell, whatever, they, they makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my words, message. So that idea of him, um, it was always with lie that you're a small boy, you don't do anything, can you call, can you go see? Doctrinal accuracy is not by age. It's not by age. Because Baba himself was still misbehaving. Baba himself was, mis- was still misbehaving. It's not by age. The lesson that we learn here is that you cannot correct someone by abusing the person and slandering the person. 
where the person is not, the person's absence. The lesson here is that Peter was not saying all the, and Paul was not saying all these things behind Peter. You see what you see something that we must honor about Paul here is that all the challenges that the challenge that he posed to Peter were all to his face. In none of his letters did he abuse Peter. Do you see that? In none of his letters did he abuse Peter. So this is the real lesson about contending for doctrine that we can learn here. It's not about age or anything. The real lesson is if someone is correcting, is saying something wrong, go and meet the person and tell the person that, sir, what you are saying is what? Wrong. It's not in social media you'll be slandering the person behind the person's back. You do like Paul. When you're writing to the Corinthians, to your local church, talk to them and tell them what is happening. In your social media page, teach God's word. If you want to correct doctrine, go and tell the person to his face. So if you are convinced that Pastor Adeboye is wrong, carry your leg to redemption camp. I'm not joking, it's true. Carry your leg to redemption camp and ask for an audience, write him a letter. That's when you will know whether you believe what you are saying. It's easy to have mouth on social media and be abusing people. It's easy. You will stand him to his face. That's the lesson we learn here. If you are someone that you cannot withstand someone to their face, but on social media where they cannot catch you, that's what you are talking, you are talking, you are talking, you are talking. You have not learned this lesson. The real lesson is here when you are writing, to, when you are talk, when you are writing a letter to the Corinthians. That means the people on your social media. You tell them God's word, teach them God's word. Writing to the Galatians, teach them God's word. When someone is a father in the faith and is misbehaving, carry your leg and go and meet him and talk to him. So that is the reason why people who are writing to the Corinthians and abusing Peter, they cannot withstand Peter to his face. All the things they are always saying, abusing people on social media, they cannot say to the face of that person. They cannot. And that's why there's a particular story that made me laugh. But now in retrospect, I actually respect it. There was a time when, um, you know, this, um, when our contentions over eternal security was very high. And then they said there was a redeemed church. I think it was Ife Redeemed Campus Fellowship that they went to see Baba Deboe. Was it? Yeah, I think it was, I'm not sure which one, so don't quote me. But I shall know that one redeemed campus fellowship went to see Baba Deboe. And they went to see my and said, Sir, I want to tell you that you have been teaching wrong doctrine. <laughs> see, in retrospect, I respect it. It's better than posting it on social media. Sure, you know. It's funny, but it's true. At least you can go and tell him to his face and give him a chance to defend himself. Because many of these people that you're also abusing, they're taking their messages out of context. They misunderstand their messages. Do you understand that? So, the truth is that if you want to correct someone, go and tell the person to his face. If you cannot tell the person to his face, keep quiet. Let's hear what. You understand that? <laughs> Praise God. Praise Jesus. So, so, the truth is this. Even men of God can have low moments. Even men of God can have low moments. Even ministers of the gospel can have low moments. They can have moments of bad judgment. They can have moments of best behavior. Our reaction to them is to be gracious towards them. Praise the Lord. So, Please let us be aware of this. All our ministers have issues. All our ministers are imperfect. Um, people can act in the flesh at certain times. We honor them 
and they also ought to receive correction when correction comes. Praise God. Remember, the law of Moses is a basket that contains customs and rights for the Jewish people, but also points to the God's eternal counsel. Praise God. The eternal counsel can be... What's the word that you guys use in chemistry? For... Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The essence of the law can be distilled out of it, right? But this is another important thing for you to know. Because those customs are not um, the issue. Praise God. Thank you very much. Now, because the essence can be distilled out of it, right? Praise God. So, because the essence can be distilled out of it, it means that those other customs and rights are of no real significance. So that is the reason why if you do it, they don't make you righteous. If you do it, they don't also make you a sinner, as long as you're not doing it as a way of righteousness. Do you understand that? Just as I just said now. So when that essence is distilled out, what is left is of no significance. If you do it, hmm. If you don't do it, hmm. The only time there will be a problem is if you are doing it as a way to become righteous. If you are mixing it as the essence, that's where there will be a problem. But once you have distilled the essence out, what is left? If you do it, it makes no difference. If you don't do it, it makes no difference. So that is the reason why you can see someone that will be following their Jewish law and be a, be a Christian. That's not what's making them righteous. As long as they don't think that is what's making them righteous. If they're just doing it as a way of culture, hmm. That's the reason why when Paul went back to Jerusalem to answer for all the issues that he has done, the Bible says that he shaved his head and did the normal Jewish rites of penitence. He even circumcised Timothy. When he was doing it, he was doing it for, their, for, their own, for the sake of the watchers. He did not change whether Timothy was saved or did not change whether Paul did anything. Do you understand that? So I don't see, we don't read uh, Acts chapter 25, chapter 24, and I say, ah, why did Paul now go and do Jewish rites? He, did betray, he didn't betray anything. It's because once you have removed the essence, all those things are just what? Culture. That's what's left. It's Jewish culture. And so that's why it is insane for a Christian, not you, not even a Jew now. You know, for a Jew, you can even understand. For some of you that you're a Gentile, a bloody Gentile, to now say you want to go and do Jewish custom as a way to become righteous. It's like your own insanity, like double insanity. It's worse than the Pharisee committee. The, the circumcision group is worse. Imagine a Gentile, a Galatians, fighting like the Pharisees so that he can, they can circumcise him. Circumcise me too. <laughs> George, are we together? So that's why some arguments are just very, very terrible. I can't believe in 2022, we are still having the issue that um, we're still talking about the fact that um, um, women should not wear trousers because. And the reason we are saying this is because trouser is men's clothing. Of course, trouser is number one. There's women's trouser and there's men's trouser. Right? Number two, how, how, how is that righteousness? Praise God. Hallelujah. So, please let us be aware of this. Let us be aware of this. And this is a warning for us. It's a warning for us. See, you have to stay on your toes with regards, with regards to God's word. We have to keep ourselves in the love of God. We have to continue to stay in God's word and be renewed by it. Nobody, until the day you die, is completely out of the woods on this matter of reverting. 
Nobody's out of the woods. If you think you have been saved from worldliness, lost of the flesh and lost of the eyes, you are joking. If you think you have been saved from pride of life, it can never happen to you again, you are joking. Must stay in God's word. Some of you now, they've taught you righteousness by faith. They've been teaching you since you got saved in secondary school. Is you, you are the generation of people that met righteousness by faith when it was popular. So in your own mind, your own idea of Christianity is righteousness by faith. Me, I'm telling you, if you don't stay in the love of God, you will go back to legalism. You will find yourself preaching legalism. You, you, you're laughing. You think it's a joke. You think, ah, me, our Christocentric lady, us, we are righteousness by faith. We don't, I'm telling you, that if the, comp, if the men from James come to you and they stay around you long enough, I'm telling you, you will not eat with the Gentiles. <laughs> you will say some things, you'll be shocked. You will not even know you're saying it. You will even be happy. You'll be preaching, you'll be happy. You, and guess what? It will not be more dangerous because you now have years and years of spiritual authority to back up your messians. Because you have spent years, you have mentored people, you have pastored people, so you, your brand image is spiritual authority. You are an authority on scriptures. You will now find yourself seeing things. <laughs> things that, if they go and play messages that you preached 15 years ago, you were dragging what you were saying. Nobody is out of the woods, though. Nobody's out of the woods. Nothing like uh, we are okay, we are settled. You must stay in the love of God. You must stay in the word of God so that you don't find yourself saying and doing things that you did not, that you should not say. Praise the Lord. I hope you were blessed. Praise Jesus. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. I think we spent enough time. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.